Talk Real Estate with Sharon McNamara, sponsored by Boston Connect Real Estate Services. Hi, I'm Sharon McNamara, and you are listening to Talk Real Estate Roundtable. Let me share a little bit about my background before we get started. I am the broker owner of Boston Connect Real Estate, a boutique real estate firm that is home to over 30 real estate sales and marketing consultants who service home buyers and home sellers throughout Boston, the South Shore, the South Coast, and Cape Cod. Our firm takes pride in assisting our clients in the next chapter of their lives by taking a holistic approach to their real estate endeavors. We believe that every move should be a moving experience. Every week, my real estate team member, Mary Baker, and I, along with the director of Boston Connect Real Estate, Melissa Wallace, provide you with our unique marketing approach to selling homes and share with you our expertise in navigating the home buying process. We like to mix it up sometimes, so not only will you hear our perspective on real estate topics, but you will hear the expert thoughts and opinions of some of our real estate agents at Boston Connect Real Estate and the preferred professionals that we trust. Be part of our roundtable. If you have any questions during the show, please call 781-837-4900. We'd love to talk real estate. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and wherever you listen to podcasts at Talk Real Estate Roundtable. If you would like a one-on-one consultation with me and my team or one of the dedicated agents at Boston Connect Real Estate to discuss your real estate needs, you can connect with us at bostonconnect.com or 781-826-8000. Now, sit back, relax, take good notes, and let's talk real estate. And hello to all my South Shore neighbors. I'm sort of getting a little bit of echo. Hey, George, can you hear me okay? Yep. All right, sounds good. So you are listening to Talk Real Estate Roundtable. I'm Sharon McNamara, and you are, we are live. I have Melissa Wallace with Hi. me. Hi, I'm here. That's good. We also have a guest with us, but we're definitely getting something coming back to us. So as Hey, we're Sharon, here, it's Larry. Yeah. I'm here to fix your echo. There you go. Okay, perfect. What happened? <laughs> uh, a button that says off was on. Oh, okay. Well, perfect. <laughs> Isn't that I'm something? So, yeah, I'm it's so like glad. like leaving the lights on in an empty house that you're selling. <laughs> yeah, I know. I wasn't sure if it was us, but Larry, I'm so glad that you're there in studio that you could help us out. So I haven't talked to you all year. So happy new year, Larry. Yeah, happy new year, guys. Well, thank you. So uh, we are live again. This is Sharon McNamara. You're listening to Talk Real Estate Roundtable. We are, I am in studio with Melissa Wallace. We have Mary Baker out in the other room right now. Uh, She is just um, working. She's working. She doesn't want to be on the radio tonight. And we also have a special guest in the studio. I like to say that he's one of my very good friends, and I lean into him a lot over the past years. Um, So one of my favorite guys, Charlie Burke. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we are excited to have you here. And I'm going to let everybody know that Charlie is, um, I've been trying to get him on the show for years, but he is the owner of Massachusetts Academy of Real Estate, right? Yes. Located in Braintree. And why don't you tell all of our listeners what you offer students there at your um, at your place? And you also sell real estate, obviously. So, and I am, he is a Dorchester guy, so you guys are going to love him as much as I do. You, you're going to know I'm a Dorchester guy with my accent here. So. <laughs> Absolutely. So, tell everybody, uh, tell all of our listeners like, what you do at Mass Academy of Real Estate. Well, we've, we've been in uh, business for 22 years. We offer pre-licensing classes, broker classes, continuing education classes. Mm-hmm. A variety of uh, options. We have classes monthly. could be during the evening, weekend, or 
the day classes. So, mm-hmm. you know. You're not doing anything online anymore, are you? You know, so we actually have a combination where it's live streamed. So you could actually be in person or be home, but mm-hmm. it's live streamed. You actually have to participate. Okay, yeah. You know. Which is good. So you have to pay attention. Absolutely. I call on people at home. So if they are watching cat videos, they're in trouble. <laughs> well, did you see the meme I sent you just the other day? Was it just yesterday? I did. Yeah. And it was like a bunch of like older ladies like sitting in front of a slot machine, just pushing the button, pushing the button. And it said that's agent, real estate agents getting their CE credits. So unfortunately, uh, sometimes that's what they do. But now when they go to you, you just make your classes so enjoyable and um, easy to listen to and easy to remember. So, I mean, I know your statistics are really good for the people who take your pre-licensing course and the broker class. Yeah, we try to uh, use, like, real examples that are there. You know, we'll change the name to protect the guilty and the innocent. But, you know, people call all the time with various uh, scenarios, and it's good to be able to incorporate that into the classes. This way, if someone else runs into a scenario like that, they have an idea what to do. And two, it, it helps you remember. I mean, I've done my class. I do all my CE classes with you. Mark and I were actually with you a couple weeks ago, and um, which was nice because he he um, expired January 8th. So I think we were with you January 4th. I don't expire until April, so I'm always early, and he's like by the hair of his chinny-chin-chin. Um, but I know I passed the test first time I took my broker test. I didn't know you before I took my broker test, but, um, you know, after when I took my broker test, I was sort of nervous, but... You know, first time out, I did it. Yeah, this test is very, uh, it's extremely difficult now. I mean, I I think it really depends on whether you have the ability to know how to study. Mm -hmm. I mean, I put a lot of material together. I have different study guides. I actually have slides now in five different languages. Oh, really? I did not know that. Yeah, so I have, uh, you know, I just find that if somebody's here, English is not their first language, maybe these slides in a different language give them a little bit of an edge to help them Mm -hmm. understand the things a little better. But the test is in English, right? It is. So the slides are actually one slide in English, and then the same slide would be in whether it's Creole or Portuguese, Vietnamese. Chinese sometimes I, and, and I've had people tell me it's helping them because then they get to see the words in both languages oh, yeah. no that makes a lot of sense so I asked you to join us today I know that Mary and Sam uh, actually did the class uh, and did the show uh, a couple weeks ago they did a show on investment properties and owning your very first investment property and everybody thinks that's a great idea <sighs> You know, <laughs> I tell people owning owning property is a job. It's mm-hmm. not just collecting a check. It is a job. Mm-hmm. You need to know the rules and regulations. There's not exact. There's not a handbook that anybody gets when they buy a house. Mm-mm. And I f- find out a lot of people learn things by trial and error, or they get themselves into a little bit of jam, not knowing that they did something wrong. Mm-hmm. You know. And that's what I'd like to think, that the majority of people who become landlords, you know, when people will call me, and actually one of my clients actually texted me um, late last night, and then I was just conversing with her about a half hour ago, they think it's a great idea to become a landlord in Massachusetts, and I always say, there are so many rules and regulations that you have to be aware of, and you came with a book today that is, how many inches thick is that book, like five inches? I mean... It's uh, pretty thick, and that's an old book, so it's a lot, it's, it's a lot thicker now. Mm-hmm. And that's what, I mean, that's how to sue your landlord, basically, right? Yeah, it's called Legal Tactics, Tenants' Rights in Massachusetts. It's it's 
Basically, if somebody has an issue, they go to legal aid. That's the handbook that they would actually use. I think it's a great book for property owners because it's very detailed Mm -hmm. as far as what the rules and regulations are that they really don't get when they buy a house. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we're going to get into, um, as Melissa is putting us out on Facebook, uh, she's getting us everywhere. So you can find us on Sharon Costa McNamara, of course, Boston Connect Real Estate and all the Connect pages. So you can follow along. You can see us here in our studio. And uh, we're going to have a conversation tonight about being a landlord in the state of Massachusetts, which we can easily say is a tenant state, right? Just I would say it's a tenant-friendly state. I mean, I do tell people this. In the end of the day, if you're right, you will win in court, but it takes time to get to that finish line. Yeah. You know, I mean, they want to give people the opportunity to... No one wants to evict anybody. No, absolutely you know, not. They absolutely don't. You know, something that we hadn't talked about, um, like... Today, a lot of people tell me they want to do, an, you know, I want to Airbnb it. I go, listen, that's dangerous, too, because mm-hmm. what if the tenant doesn't move out? Yeah. You know, I mean, what are you going to do? And people laugh going, that doesn't happen. I go, I can give you many cases. Oh, with. Yeah, I'm sure it happens over and over and over again. You maybe haven't heard of it, but it does certainly happen. Um, what are your thoughts, Mel? Uh, on the Massachusetts. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting us on Facebook. So um, I guess um, I've only ever been a tenant. I'm, and I revealed this last week. I think that I'm in in uh, in the market for purchasing my first home. So I would say um, my experiment, my experiments, my experience as a tenant. Uh, I don't know if I feel like it's a tenant state. Like I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't. I don't know. Yeah. I just think, oh, that's so much better. I turned my microphone around. (laughs) So that sounds a little bit better. Thank you. Um, Let's get right into it. So people think that they want to be a landlord. What are the biggest mistakes that you think people make when they are a tenant, uh, when they're a landlord in the state of Massachusetts? And I also want to give out our number because George is in studio right now with Larry. Um, 781-837-4900, 781-837-4900. Or you can go on to any of our Facebook pages and send us a message that way. If you have any questions about being a landlord in the state of Massachusetts or anything else really state because honestly we have the guy here that has all the answers when i don't know something i text charlie so that's not the only reason why i love him he always does respond but um what do you think the biggest mistakes people make i think it's the deposit rules Mm. a lot of people don't understand it's not just taking a deposit and a lot of i hear all the time people tell me the lawyers told them not to take the deposits because it's too much of a hassle. It's not a hassle. You just need to do it the right way. Mm-hmm. So the maximum you can collect up front is three months. And if you take a security deposit, there's a particular form you're required to use. It's an apartment condition statement agreement. And the property owner and the tenant should sign off on that. It would be wise for them to sign off on it before they move in. Mm-hmm. And then that money gets placed in a Massachusetts bank account mm-hmm. associated with that tenant's social security number. Mm-hmm. And here's where the big mistake is. The interest is due back to the tenant annually. Yeah. So I know that. So you can choose, like we chose not to take a security deposit because we didn't want to go through all that. Right. Right, wrong, or different. I don't know. I mean, maybe we shouldn't be owning property, but... To me, I just couldn't see us doing all that paperwork every year. I mean, for what, 60 cents? 
Right. So when it's put in the bank, it's bank rates, which is hardly anything today. If you fail to put in the bank and you took a security deposit, it's 5% interest. And that interest is due back annually. So that's where there's a big mistake. Somebody could stay for seven years. They're supposed to be getting that interest back every year or accredited to that 13th month worth of uh, of the rent. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just a technical error. It, it, it may mean nothing, but if all of a sudden you're in court on another issue, it comes up and they look for the apartment condition statement agreement. You don't have one. That's a problem. You shouldn't have collected the security deposit. Um, I do find this. I mean, I just my son just went through this mm-hmm. as well, where he and his girlfriend, they were moving out of a place. I didn't handle the transaction in the beginning. Um, my, you know, his his girlfriend's mother did, who's also a real estate mm. agent. And all of a sudden, there's a problem with the security deposit. And I said, well, what is it? And they go, well, there's damages there. I go, what are the damages? Because you know what? I know for a fact that they were up there. That place was left very clean. So they're trying to charge a cleaning fee, and they can't charge a cleaning fee if it was left clean. But I said, I want the apartment condition statement, and no one ever signed off on it. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know, I called the complex, and I said, so I want to let you know. There's a violation here, and this place was very clean. Just give them back their money, and they go, oh, of course so. But you know what? A lot of tenants don't know that Mm -hmm. either there. So, you know, they could end up not getting their money back. I mean, it you know, it goes both ways. There's great property owners out there, and there's some out there that they are slumlords, Mm -hmm. and they, they take advantage of tenants, too. And I know, too, with, you know, with the fees and with that whole thing about, like, the security fees and getting that back, because I know with Mackenzie, every state is different. And when she was down in South Carolina, I mean, I literally was there cleaning with, like, a toothbrush in the corners, and they were trying to claim the same thing that, you know, that she didn't leave it clean. And I was like, hmm, I helped her move in, and before we put one piece of anything in that property, I videoed and took still pictures, and when we left, I did the same exact thing. So... Um, I think that that's always a good idea for tenants to do when when they move in. I tell them, take pictures and print them out and date them and sign them. Mm -hmm. That way you show the date and then you you have a reference point when they actually leave. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So that's um, with security deposits. What about pet deposits? So pet deposits are not legal in this state. Mm-hmm. So some people will say I'm charging an upfront fee. I just saw a listing online. It was a $500 pet deposit, and it's definitely illegal. Mm-hmm. Okay, you cannot. Ch- it's first law security and a key fee. That is it. They've already ruled amenity fees to be illegal in this state. Um, so that would be, you know, like a gym or a pool or right. any of that. So they can't charge extra for that either. So the only thing that you can charge are three months. So that would be first, last, and security. Yeah. No pet fee, right. just a key. And a, yeah, a reasonable cost to replace the locks. Now, what a lot of these complexes are doing is they're charging monthly pet rent. And so far, there hasn't been a case on that yet. I know somebody who was putting one together pre-COVID and then COVID hit. So I don't know what happened there. But I think when that case is heard, whether you can charge pet rent or not, I recommend to people that they don't. I go, uh-huh. just just raise the rent. Yeah, you know. Yeah, if- I never understood. Like, I lived somewhere that you we had to pay. We had a cat, so we had to pay twenty five dollars a month for the cat. But anybody who had a dog had to pay fifty dollars a month. Mm-hmm. But I was like, why don't you just raise the rent by fifty dollars across the board? Yeah, that <laughs> like, would like who cares? I think that would be the smart. I think that would be the cleanest way 
to do it there. Because if it were me representing the tenant, I would ask them why they're charging the pet deposit. Yeah. And they would probably say damages. And i say, then why don't you can't just charge a security deposit? And they're going to say damages. And that case is over. Because uh-huh. you can't charge for the same thing twice, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have the policy. They have a policy. They could say no pets, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a question. Say you have a con- you own a condo and you rent it out. Are you still required to pay the condo fees, or can the tenant pay the condo fees? Because I was just thinking about that when um, when you said amenities. So like a lot of the times, like the condo fees are a certain price because of they have a pool they have a you know exercise they have all this stuff so can somebody who owns a condo condo charge charge the condo fee nope they can they can charge higher rent Mm -hmm. but the condo fee is their responsibility Mm -hmm. you know just like you know i see leases where it says the tenant has to take out the trash they really don't you know, that they have to shovel the snow. Oh, they really don't. Some, they don't have to take out their trash from their kitchen to the trash barrel? Well, to the trash barrel, yes. But believe it or not, the property owner is responsible for removing the trash. To move it. What about water? Can we talk about water? So it is possible that the tenants could be responsible for water today. It would have to be in the lease. They would have to have all the appropriate low-flow shower heads and the right toilets. And uh, if it's a single-family house and if it's an apartment, it could be individually metered. So I always thought that the water had to be included. Is that like an old r- rule? It did. I think it changed somewhere around 2016 to as 18. As long as the tenant knows beforehand, right? Right. That I they mean, have to pay for the water. Like I couldn't have a two-family house and say to the, t- the tenant, you're splitting the water bill. Yeah. It would have to be individually metered. Mm-hmm. And that way, you know, they're not paying for somebody else's water. Okay. I, I didn't know that. I always thought that you couldn't do you couldn't charge for water. So that's obviously something that changed yeah. and I wasn't paying attention. I didn't think so until like a year ago and I was looking at like and I'm like why does why do all of these rentals say like water not included tenant has to pay water and I looked it up and it was hmm yeah you could have told me that you could have told me that in 2016 Oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't know. know it in 2016. <laughs> I knew it in 2021, <laughs> 22. Yeah, that's a long time for me to go not knowing that. Yeah, I mean, every once in a while things get changed. And so it could be town, you need approval. So you just can't do it. You'd actually, like I said, there has to be a sign off. You have to have the appropriate. Yeah, so you um, would have to have two meters if I have a two family, three meters if I have a three family. Right. If it's a single family, you just have the one, right? Right. Because that makes sense to me too, because. You know, we we have a two-family property here in Pembroke. It's actually on the opposite end of the street where we are right now. And, you know, the lease that we had is with this gentleman, and then his daughter ended up moving in with him. Now, she's not on the lease. We've allowed it. Um, You know, sort of like unspoken lease. But now you think about it. Like, we charged the certain rent that we did because we're paying for the water, but now you have two people in there, you know, showering. She had her boyfriend, like, staying over a lot. Then they were doing laundry because we had the laundry in the basement. You you could open up a laundromat. I remember years ago, I had a three-family house, and the water bill was through the roof to a point that it didn't make any sense. So I went to the water department. They said, you have to have a leak somewhere because it just was, it went up way too much. And we we couldn't find a leak. So they actually put a meter on it. And then they told me the water usage is after midnight. 
So it seems to be there's some some issue going on, like you're filling up a swimming pool after midnight. So I went to the house, and there were the tenants on the first floor, two college kids. They were running a laundromat out of oh. out of my house, and oh my and I said, guys, what are you doing? And they're all excited, explaining it to me how they're taking these bags home and they're making all kinds of money. I go, I'm paying for that water, and they said to me, no, water's free. Oh. And I said, not to me, you know. And they they really didn't know, and they were like, "Oh, is this ca- causing a problem?" And I said, yeah. "If you want me to put meter ones in here, like coin operated, then you can see." And they go, "That would take our profit away." So yeah, no I just kidding. laughed. You know? Oh gosh, so that changed. You know, when Casey um, had an apartment on Beacon Street when she was at BU Law School. Um, she was there and she called in the middle of the night and the fire alarms were going off. The fire department was there and there was, um, usually he didn't, that's the other thing too I do want to get into is, you know, when, who can you rent to and who you can't rent to. But upstairs there were undergrads there and he normally didn't rent to undergrad students, but he did in this circumstance and water pouring through the ceiling into like the electrical and into their kitchen like destroyed the whole kitchen everything the ceiling came crashing down well it was during a heat wave and the kids upstairs the girls upstairs had this great idea that they got a blow-up pool and they got hoses and connected them to the faucets in the house and they were filling the pool, but it was taking too long, so they went out for a while to go drinking. And when they came back, it like it was flooding the entire house. So, yeah, you don't want to do that either. So they got in big, big trouble for that one. Yeah. Let's talk about that aspect of things, though, like when it comes to discrimination. And um, because we did have a situation recently in the office, and one of the agents had a client and the listing agent on the property, it was in MLS and everything, the listing agent said, well, my client wants to meet everybody because he doesn't want families living in this property. So that's a violation. I mean, I tell people, you know, you're supposed to follow lawful instructions, not unlawful instructions. Mm -hmm. And some people aren't educated as to what the rules are, and they may have reasons for that. I've had people say, I I don't want to rent to people with kids because I don't want to find it with my kids. They're enough. But... Whenever an agent's hired, they have to follow all the fair housing laws. While an owner may have discretion as to who to select, we don't have a right to discriminate. Mm-hmm. And to actually say or have it written down like no families, no kids, that's a definite violation there. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. I, I, I do know there's going to be some pretty soon there'll be some more information out as far as, you know, discrimination rules in this state because they are looking at stuff. I I personally find a lot of people are just uneducated. Mm -hmm. You know, there is a rule that says if you own and occupy a two-unit property, you have discretion as to who you want to share your living space with. And that may be the owner-occupant's ability there, but then real estate agents can't, like, not tell people about these units there. When an agent's hired, they have to follow the laws. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I've even had situations in single-family properties where people would say, you know, people say the dumbest things, and, like, first of all, I can't even believe that they think half the things that they say out loud, but then to say them out loud, I'm just like... You know, unfortunately, I can't, I can't do that. Like, I can't base, you know, the decision on that. So, um, and we've walked, Mary and I actually walked away from somebody in Braintree one time. I couldn't even believe what they were saying. And we're just like, yeah, we're just, you're not the type of person that we actually want to work for. And that's all illegal. So, um, 
yeah, so we want to make sure that we're not discriminating. It was interesting because when Casey was looking for an apartment, I had to hire an agent in the city because she she was able to talk to some of these landlords that she has relationships with because they won't, a lot of the um, landlords in the city don't want to rent to law students. Yes. So I I get asked this. There's a list of protected classes, and I tell people you can say no no students. And you know what people say downtown? No law students. They do not want to hire somebody mm-hmm. who they think is going to sue them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the same rules apply to everybody there. But it is it is kind of funny because there is that fear mm-hmm. factor there, you know. And, and I've had this. I've had people say... Um, I can't rent to you because the apartment's not Section 8, Section 8 approved. There's no difference. Mm-hmm. You know, the apartment's supposed to meet certain code, period. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Section 8 may have to come out and sign off on a unit, but it's supposed to meet those requirements anyway. To go back to those deposits, one other mm-hmm. thing that a lot of people uh, aren't aware of is you're supposed to pay interest on the last month's rent. Oh, really? Yeah, so... If you take a security deposit, they're not entitled to interest unless they've been there an entire year. Mm-hmm. When you take a last month's rent, it does. the property owner does not need to put that in the bank. It does belong to them, so they can use it. However, the tenant's entitled to interest, bank rates when placed in the bank, 5%, if not, it too is due back annually. That's, I didn't know that either. And, you know, here's the thing, though. I just have a f- f- weird, like, I don't know, like, just people giving you, you know, your landlord your social security number, and then what, you go to the bank and just, like, I'm um, opening up an account for my... So that's interesting, too, because I'm really surprised that there hasn't been more of an issue with this. Believe it or not, that's a violation of the Patriot Act. Oh. So, the Wait, small... the account has to be in the tenant's name? It's in their social security number. Yeah. And, and we're not allowed to commingle these funds. So if I had five apartments, I suppose they have five separate accounts mm-hmm. that interest is assigned to that tenant. Yeah. So they'll get a, do- you know, there's a document yeah. from the bank, like you get your W-2, mm-hmm. this would be, I believe mm-hmm. is a W-9. Yeah. But I do find that uh, people, you don't have to put it in the bank, but they owe them 5% interest hmm. and it's due back every year. And so if someone stays on for five years, I mean, yeah. that's five violations if they didn't get that, you know. Oh. And and that could be, you know, yeah. everything's okay until the tenancy's ending. And then sometimes it doesn't end on a happy note. Mm-hmm. People end up in court and they start looking at, was this done right? Was that done right? Was this wrong? And it becomes an issue. Yeah, that's interesting. The, the last place that I lived, I remember getting, like, the interest checks. And it like, wasn't even worth the paper that it was printed yeah. on, you know? And I used to be like, what? I don't even know what this is for. Like, and a stamp, <laughs> like everything else, like the whole process. You yeah, hire like an administrator. Just deposit it into my account save everybody yeah. <laughs> some time. They actually just could have deducted it from from that rent when you renewed. Say, Melissa, the rent's 13 cents less this month. You yeah, know? yeah. Hmm. yeah. Well, I, but it would be interesting because I know we definitely had to pay, um, we definitely had to pay last month's rent, so mm-hmm. I wonder. Yeah, so 5%. I'm going to go after them for 13 cents. Yeah, so what is it again? It's 5% on just that last month or every month that they're So there. it's bank rates when placed in the bank. Yeah. It's five percent interest, if not. Okay. So if you five percent interest of two thousand mm-hmm. dollars is a lot more than yeah. you know point zero zero three of two thousand dollars. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting because I didn't know that one either. So, geez. 
Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, to be fair to the tenants, it's kind of hard for them today, too, because they could be paying first, last, security, and a fee. Mm-hmm. And so that's another issue. If the tenant's going to charge a fee for their services, uh, they have to disclose it in writing up front mm-hmm. with an apartment condition statement agreement. Not if they're charging the property owner, but if they're charging the tenant. And in Boston, I mean, you know, every city and state, every city or town has its own rules there. There's a movement to prohibit real estate agencies from charging fees to tenants. Well, you know, and that's interesting, too. And I know that something just came out last week, too, about um, Mayor Wu there is trying to, she's doing something more for, like, affordable rent control and everything in the city, too. But... It is more difficult when I look at people when we're renting the apartments in the city and the tenant is the one that's due to, you know, to pay the real estate agent. It's literally impossible. It's like so hard for them to come up with all this money. They're better off buying a house. So I had somebody years ago. I said to him, you should buy. You're giving me $20,000 today. First law security and a rental fee. I made $5,000 off renting that apartment to Uh this guy. And I go, you should buy a place. And he goes... I don't want to. And I said yeah. to him, you're going to be living in your mother's basement in a year. You're spending $60,000 on rent. This is your first apartment. He got his first job. He thinks he's rich. Yep. He was making 120000 I go, well, 30 goes to taxes. You're down to 90. 60 goes to rent. You got your student loans to pay. You'll be living in your mother's basement in a year. And he got a little mad at me, and he was living in his mother's basement in a year. Yeah. You know. It is. It's really hard. We actually were having a conversation in the office today. And, you know, when people, you know, right now, oh, the rates, the rates, the rates. And it's like, all right, well, if the rates are up at 6%, even if they go to 7% again, it's better than paying 100% when you're renting, right? Mm -hmm. So you're paying 100% when it goes to somebody else. But um, that's not me talking as a landlord, obviously. That's me talking as somebody who's working with people who are renting. And that's one of the shows that we have on our list to do this year as well is, you know, the comparison between renting and owning. And like you said, some people just don't want to. You know, some I think people that just don't want to, or some people just don't think that they can afford. So we're very big advocates on just educating anybody who wants to talk about real estate, whether it's renting or buying. Or mm-hmm. um, I had an agent interview today, and all they've done is rentals. They haven't done residential sales, um, and it's a different beast. So mm-hmm. um, you know, just educating people, you know, whether they're a buyer or a renter, on you know maybe maybe just have a conversation with a loan officer, see where you're at and Mm -hmm. and write get all the numbers down of you're spending twenty thousand dollars to move into an apartment well what if you spent twenty thousand dollars to buy a house Mm -hmm. instead you know and then you rent it after yeah and get a get a roommate (laughs) you know if you feel like you can do that the rates are funny because people ask should you know should should we wait for the rates to come down and go you shouldn't wait to buy real estate Mm -hmm. you know you should buy real estate and wait i you said that at the class the other day and i came back to the office and i said that i said this is what charlie said yesterday and i like that no i mean rates are the rates are they're complex because people don't understand them you Mm -hmm. know when you hear about the rate going up that's the rate the feds charging the banks to borrow from them and so they have raised that so the you know the local banks will pass that off to the consumer but when people aren't aren't borrowing money they'll start dropping them Mm -hmm. and the rates are actually they're the lowest they've been since last september it's interesting too because 
even like when they're talking about property, you know, prices and sale prices and everything, I mean, we're still better than we were last January. We're just lower than we were in May. So um, back to this um, with our topic here. Again, you're listening to Talk Real Estate. If you have any questions for us tonight, we're live. I am Sharon McNamara, the broker owner of Boston Connect Real Estate. We are here in studio at Boston Connect Real Estate's headquarters here in Pembroke. And I am with Melissa Wallace. She is our everything here at the office, along with Charlie Burke. He is the owner of Mass Academy of Real Estate and also has his own firm selling real estate as well. He's a good friend of ours here. And um, we're talking about being a landlord in the state of Massachusetts. If you have any questions regarding this topic or if you have any other questions regarding real estate, give us a buzz, 781-837-4900. So back to some of the regulations and everything. I don't even know what's on the agenda. I know that Julia probably did a really good job on there. But I wanted to talk about um, lead paint and like some of the things I want to get into. If you can believe it, we have 15 minutes left. So I'd like to talk about lead paint. I'd also like to talk about if there was ever a fire or anything in the property, what are your requirements? And here's a weird thing, too, is um, my dad is in a, in a development and... Um, the heat isn't working properly. So they went around and gave everyone space heaters. So I'm just curious, is that sufficient because you're giving them a source of heat um, and there is electricity? So I don't know where you want to start, but those are the three things I want to talk about in 15 minutes. Well, (laughs) the heat thing is very... First off, space heaters can be very dangerous. Dangerous, that's what I feel, especially with an elderly man who just had two serious falls tripping on wires. So the state sanitary code, and, and people should print this out if you're a property owner. I mean, there are, there are the requirements that you're required to meet. State sanitary code will tell you what the temperature is supposed to be inside the unit during the day and during the evenings. You can't lower the heat during the evening. So if they don't have sufficient heat, it is something that they're going to need to address. That short-term fix you know, with a space heater isn't fixing the problem. So. Well, yeah. What if there's a fire? Like, what? where's the liability? I remember there being a building in Randolph, and there was a fire, and then a flood, obviously, because, you know, mm-hmm. the sprinklers went, went off, and these people were, like, in hotels. They lost all their stuff, and, and this went on for months. It was a total disaster mm-hmm. there. But, you know, as a, as a property owner, you are supposed to follow the laws, and there are, you know, there is that code, and it's going to, you know, the, the tenant has the ability to actually make repairs themselves and then deduct it from the rent. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know in a complex if that would be possible. I yeah. mean, we really don't know what the circumstances are, why that's not And they're enough. waiting for a part. So it's well, like taking three weeks for a part to come in. And this, I get it, but, like, you're, he's in, like, senior housing, and it's like all these people don't have heat and... I was like, Dad, please just keep the space heater in the corner. I don't want you tripping on the cords. You know, I have all these other thoughts of what I'm worried about. Right. I mean, if they're making an effort and they're waiting for the pot to come in and they gave them the space heaters, they got themselves covered, but it is still dangerous there. I mean, unfortunately, we hear constantly from everybody in the industry it's just a back order because of COVID. Mm-hmm. I mean, COVID's now the excuse for, for everything. everything, you know. And, <laughs> you know, is. the manufacturing wasn't done, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I heard that today when I went looking for Diet Coke. It's We don't have any because of COVID. I mean, you know, that ship sailed long ago, <laughs> yeah, you know. I know. But, but. Actually, that happened to me. I was looking for peach bubbly, and I saw the Coca-Cola guy, whoever, in the supermarket one day, and I was like, do you have any? He's like, what flavor are you looking for? I was like, I'm looking for peach. He goes, nope. It's because of COVID. And I was like, all right, well, at least he didn't say we can blame Putin. <laughs> so <laughs> that was the, during that time, too. Let's talk about lead paint because there's 
a lot of requirements when you are a landlord um, and you're renting to people when you want to get into that um, situation. So if you're renting, so if you're the property owner and the property was built before 1978, Mm -hmm. the owner and the tenant should sign two copies of the tenant-led notification certification. Two, one for them, one for the property owner, one one, one for the tenant. Mm-hmm. Um, that form also needs to be signed annually. So if somebody, oh, really? if, yeah, so if somebody stayed on, it's a new tenancy. So you sign it for a year. Now somebody may not have any children at all, but a year later, they th- might, yeah. they, they could. So that document's supposed to be done. It's a new tenancy, even if they're a tenant at will. It's a, it's supposed to be done. Huh. Maybe I should go back to school. No, so <laughs> if you... do a class just on rentals. If you rent, so you're not allowed to evict somebody because they had a child. You're not mm-hmm. allowed to evict them because they're having a child. In fact, if I rented to somebody who didn't have children and then a child arrives, I need to find out if there's lead paint in that property. And if there is, I need to address the situation, which might mean as the property owner, I need to relocate them temporarily to another location, put their stuff in storage, make the property lead compliant, move them back in, move their stuff back in, and no one's really having a good time with each other at that. And if I have to move them out, I have to give them comparable housing. If I don't have another apartment for them, I'm going to end up putting them in a hotel. If there's no kitchen, you got to give them a food allowance. So what about if you are, and I know, Melissa, I'm going to give you an opportunity, I promise, next. So if you are the landlord and you start with a one-year lease and then after that no lease is, like, you decide that you're not going to do a year lease. So there are different types of leases that you can do. So maybe we can hit upon that. Wow. And um, so that's, um, like, you can do tenant at will or a year lease, right? So can you do longer than a year? Sure. I know uh, my next my next door neighbor in South Boston, he usually does two years. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, it would definitely need to be in writing because anything a year or more would need to be in writing. You, you do a six-month lease, it doesn't need a writing. Okay. But anything that would be a year or more under what we call the statute of frauds mm-hmm. requires a writing. So if you initially started with a year lease and then it, you know, after that year was up and you decided and you didn't do a new lease... And you were just basically doing month to month. Does that just automatically bounce into being tenant at will? It does. So if you don't if you don't re-sign anything and you stay on with permission, mm-hmm. you become a tenant at will. If you stay on without permission, it creates something called tenancy at sufferance. Does and that then, permission have to be in writing though? No, because yeah, I mean, if you just accept the rent, you accept mm-hmm. you accepted the tenancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so that happens a lot where people will. Sign at least for a year. They just stay on afterward. Nobody signs everything. Everybody gets along. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably better that you do have it in writing so you have who's living in the place so other people don't show. I remember years ago knocking on one of my tenants' doors because you can't go in their apartment whenever you want. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how many people that, yeah. think you can. There's something mm-hmm. called the covenant of quiet enjoyment. And I said, who are you? And he goes, I live here now. I go, well, when did that happen? He said, two months ago. And he goes, who are you? I go, I own the house. He goes, nice to meet you. I go, yeah, we need to talk. You know? Was he, had he been paying you rent, though, the past two months? You know what? It just, uh, I got one one rent check. So there were three tenants mm-hmm. in there. But I would say to them, I don't want, like, three checks. I yeah. want one check. Mm-hmm. And so they worked that out. Figure it out amongst yourselves. Mm-hmm. Among, amongst themselves. Because that's an issue out there where people go, well, I paid my portion. I go, your portion's 100%. Yeah. You know, but this, uh, the lead law is uh, tough. So 
we we have to follow the law. And you know what people don't know? There's actually one for short-term rentals. Oh, okay. So it's called the Massachusetts Short-Term Vacation Rental in Rooming House-Led Paint Form. Uh-huh. If somebody's going to rent a property built before 1978, less than 31 days, they're required to do that document. So for Airbnbs? Airbnbs, places down the Cape. Hmm. Um, Less than 31 days you have to sign it? Yeah. So if it's like somebody staying there for a week, 10 days, a month. A weekend. A weekend. If it's built before 1978. And I know I give that format a lot. People go, I never heard of that before. Uh, Airbnb know that? Well, I'm going to (laughs) say no. I mean, years ago, there was an issue where they decided to go on a political attack against some elected officials. Mm -hmm. And... I said your response should be that it's a $1,000 a day fine for every apartment that you rented that they didn't have that form. Mm-hmm. And they go, what are you talking about? And even the corporation council goes, I've never heard of that law before. I go, I'll send it to you. Yeah. you know. So that is just in the mass, um, mass forms, right? That, the MAR forms? That form, yes, it's, it is in there. And that's what it's called, the Massachusetts Short-Term Vacation Rental and Rooming House-Led Paint Form. Okay. Wow. All right, we are learning so much tonight. Like, I can't believe it. Like, I feel like I'm at my first day of like I'm real estate school really right now. Grateful that we primarily do residential <laughs> sales and I not know. rentals here. Yeah. Um, so, what about when people are looking for an apartment um, and you have to, you know, do a credit check? I was hearing that that might be considered. Um, what is it? Discrimination. Well, you know, it's a concern of mine. I had a conversation with an elected official at one point, and I go, you know, people who are very responsible in their life and maybe don't have a lot of debt, uh, don't use a lot of credit because it's just, mm-hmm. it was the culture that, that they they grew up in. They don't have good credit. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, they're not a credit risk. because They're not a bad risk because they pay their bills. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, the way this system is set up, you have to have debt. Mm-hmm. So somebody who basically paid all their bills, did not have any credit cards, they could go to apply for an apartment and they could say, your school is too low. Mm-hmm. And it's because they don't use a lot of credit. Mm-hmm. And people who are on public assistance, you know, they have a voucher. But at the same point, somebody says, well, we want a credit score of X. Again, if they have limited opportunities available to them for credit, mm-hmm. that's, that's going to bring it down as well. So, you know, I, I find... I find that credit scoring system to be tough. And I I look at it like this. If there's a certain standard for buying houses, Mm -hmm. I don't know how we use a different standard for renting apartments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the risk then falls on the landlord. The landlord's the one that would end up defaulting ultimately at the end if they needed that rent every month, right? Um, I was thinking about something else. Did you have a question? I'm sorry. No, I was just, I think you brought that up. So last year, Kristen Howlett, who's coming in soon, um, and Trish Flynn and I took our class, our CE class with you last year. And I think that was brought up. Somebody brought up, like, is is it, um, you know, a violation of something, whatever, to say I don't want to rent to somebody who has low credit score? Mm-hmm. Or like a Section 8. That's what I was thinking right. is like if if you have the property listed and somebody calls and says, hey, I have a Section 8 voucher, uh, are landlords allowed to say we're not accepting Section 8? Nope. You cannot turn somebody down because they're on public assistance. It doesn't mean you need to take them as a tenant, but it cannot be a reason for turning somebody down. There's a method of payment. So what happens to you the landlord? Something else out. Yeah. So what happens to the landlord who says, "Okay, like would like to do this," so then they have to go through a whole process. That's probably a whole nother show, right? Yeah. So what what would end up 
So what ends up happening here is you could have somebody say, I'm not taking people on Section 8, and then the agents don't take them to the apartments. Oh, it could yeah. end up being a tester. Next thing you know, the agent's written up for a violation of d discrimination here. And unfortunately, um, people who there are people who fear, fear the government. When, when I actually had a conversation with this elected official, I said, you know, it's not all older people who've owned these houses a long time. A lot of people who, you know, I have Haitian people, Jamaican people, uh, they don't want the government in their house. Mm -hmm. You know, they came here to get away from all of that. So they fear the apartments being inspected. They don't understand the process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they would hear years ago there were a lot of problems with that system. And the, a lot of those problems have been corrected over time. Mm -hmm. So, but they fear, I mean... I know that. They fear the government in their house. Mm -hmm. One other thing on a lease, if we could do this quick. There's something out there called the self-extending lease. Okay. And I think a lot of people aren't aware of that. A lot of these large complexes have this. So, like, if you that have something built in the lease that if you don't give them 60 days notice that you're not renewing, it self-renews for another year. Oh. Kind of like that gym membership. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. so people think they're getting out of their lease, and then... They're being told you already renewed, but they go, we'll let you out for a lease break fee. Can't be a penalty. Penalties and contracts are unconscionable, but mm -hmm. it could be a fee. So they're basically charging the money to get out of the obligation. Mm -hmm. And it's because they didn't remember that they had to give 60 days notice. So I tell people, these large complexes, read those leases. Yeah. What if you're th thinking about going up, like if your landlord wants to go up on rent, are there rules to that as well? Like can you just at any time, can you do it more than once a year? Are there any rules pertaining to that? So if they're a tenant at will, you have to give them a rental period's notice. Okay, if 30 they days. Yep. If mm -hmm. they, if, and, and, and that's kind of tricky too. So like if the, I can't do it on June 1 and say the rent goes up on July 1 and it yeah. would have had to be the last day of May. Yeah. Uh, if it's a lease, it's fixed for that term. You can't do anything until that, okay. that lease is actually And are there requirements up. on like how much you can go up on your rent? At this time, no. But there is a movement for rent stabilization and capping how much that you could go up. I mean, I will say this. I, was, I have read somewhat of that proposal in the city. Um, they definitely have toned it down a lot. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I have to claw through it a little bit more. Yeah. But I was like... You know. I know on the south end, I mean, Casey was saying there were some people that were saying that their rent was going up like 65%. Yeah. So they were just trying to probably push them out. Well, I cannot believe we are at the end here. So thank you so much. Again, we have Charlie Burke from Mass Academy of Real Estate. If somebody's thinking about getting their real estate license, their broker's license, or they have to do CEs, how can they get in touch with you, Charlie? Actually, it's massrealestateclasses.com would be the website. And 781-848-1404 is the phone number. Perfect. And you can always find us at... Uh, bostonconnect.com. All right, everybody, have a good week, and we will be here on Saturday from 10 to 11, so we hope that you can make it, and we will be live. Enjoy. Have a great night. You Bye. as well.